Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC. And we are finally, finally almost at the weekend. I mean, by the time this drops, probably Friday, I'd say February 9th. I mean, Friday basically counts as a weekend. I mean, the vibes are high all day. You're super pumped and just everything's been going well. Been a long week. You know, I've had some ups and downs with the nostrils, with the allergies and such. But uh, other than that, been doing pretty good. Got big exams coming up for international business. Been studying for that, grinding stuff out. Today, we have a ton of fun stuff to go over. I am recording this late Thursday night. I was planning to actually go watch some of my buddies play hockey, but I found out their game was pushed back. So I decided to instead record this podcast. Um, and I'll need some good sleep tomorrow before my exam. But on today's episode, of course, the main uh, bit of everything is that we will be giving our UFC Vegas 86 predictions, our preview of the card this weekend, headlined by Jack Hermanson and Joe Pfeiffer. Very excited to see Joe Pfeiffer fight. He's been one of my favorite new fighters that has burst onto the UFC scene. Also, we'll be talking about some new UFC news, uh, talking about some movies I've just watched. Of course, the 48 Laws of Power. I think we're doing Laws... 27, 28, 29, maybe something like that. I'm um, checking in with the NBA and NHL, giving our Super Bowl prediction, a little WWE news, and our surprise topic for this episode in honor of the late great American country singer Toby Keith. We will be giving our top 10 Toby Keith songs. A lot of fun stuff to come on today's episode. So strap in. Get your, I don't know, I was going to try and think of some fun little intro or something, but I got nothing. Let's just get into everything that we're going to discuss. Kicking us off, as always, with new UFC news. And there hasn't been too much, has not been much at all since we last talked. The main, um... The main thing that I saw was announced actually today is that the March 2nd UFC Fight Night, which was originally going to be in Saudi Arabia, they obviously changed it, will instead be headlined by heavyweights number 12-ranked Jarzinho Rosenstruck and unranked undefeated Shamil Gazioff. Just another apex sleeper, but Shamil or Jarzinho should get around one knockout. It'll go one way or the other, so don't expect too much of boredom from that fight. Should be... Should be pretty good. The only new fight announcement that they've actually made is that Bill Algeo will be taking on Kyle Nelson at UFC Atlantic City March 30th. Um, Bill Algeo has wins over Alexander Hernandez, Joe Anderson Brito, Herbert Burns, pretty legit. Kyle Nelson has wins over Blake Builder, Fernando Padilla. Yeah, just two unranked featherweights that do their thing. We'll always kind of float. They will float in and out of the... Um, Ah, no, they're never going to make the top 15. They aren't going to go anywhere, but yeah, it's been like the only new official fight announcement that's been made, actually, but some other um, announcements for UFC 300, speaking of that, is that the first fight of the uh, night will be Devis and Figueredo versus Cody Garbrandt. Devis and Figueredo currently ranked number 8 at men's bantamweight, your former flyweight champion. Cody Garbrandt, of course, former bantamweight champion. Coming off a big knockout of Brian Keller back at UFC 296. You know, it's a good way to open up the night. But at the same time, you know, Dana White said that every single fight on this card could be a fight night main event. You got Jessica Andrade, Marina Rodriguez. There's no real hype there. I mean, the Sodi Yusuf and Diego Lopez is good. But at the same time, I feel like everyone expects more. 
And I mean, Cody Cody Brundage versus Bo Nickel is a squash match as much as they come. Cody Brundage is being sent in there to die. So I don't really know what they've been talking about with that. But the UFC main event is shaping up to be, from what all the sources are saying, uh, Alex Pereira, your current men's light heavyweight champion, will be going up in weight to heavyweight to take on your current interim champion, Tom Aspinall, for his interim heavyweight championship belt. Alex Pereira looking to become what I believe is the first fighter in UFC history to win belts in three different weight classes, even though the interim championship doesn't really count as an official belt. Nonetheless, it would still be impressive if he went up in weight and handled business. I don't know. What's going to come of that? I wouldn't want to say it'd be overwhelming, but I mean, I'm expecting some huge announcements. I mean, the days continue to tick away without an official, official confirmation on what our main event will be. But at this point, that's looking like it's going to be Tom Aspinall versus Alex Pejero, which isn't too bad, which isn't too bad. Speaking of uh, UFC and uh, the video game world, three new fighters were added into the uh, UFC 5 EA Sports video game, one of them being the man in the main event, the unranked Joe Pfeiffer, taking on number 11 ranked now, Jack Hermanson, this weekend, looking to climb into the top 15. And as of right now, no... um. Whereas for UFC 297, all uh, three of the five fighters that were added lost. And they lost them um, that were added, those being Mike Ballett, Charles Jordan, Amaro Bueno Silva. Amir Bazi was added in December, and he actually got injured. Holtman made his fight, was bumped down to the prelims. There's low-key a curse with fighters that have been added, so I'm hoping that curse doesn't strike Joe Pfeiffer. Also added, featherweight, country boy, wears his camo pants, number 10-ranked Bryce Mitchell. He was already being... Uh, he was already planned to be put in the game before he got knocked out by Josh Emmett in two minutes. But nonetheless, he's fun to play with. They got camo shorts. Who doesn't love camo shorts? And the last female fighter, or just fighter in general, but she is female, being added is number six ranked women's flyweight um, uh, Macy Barber. She's actually taken on number four ranked Caitlin Chukagan on the prelims at UFC 299. Macy Barber was at one point um, in talks to become the youngest woman's or youngest champion in UFC history, but she, of course, lost to Alexa Grasso, lost to Roxanne Modaffrey, has since then gone on a five-fight win streak. Happy to see her in the game, and she's improving every time we see her step back in. Um, Not really uh, UFC-related, but not enough to expand on its own, but the WWE, you know, WWE actually kind of goes hand-in-hand with UFC now since they're both owned by the uh, TKO management or executive group or whatever. But uh, Triple H, they did like a little uh, WrestleMania press conference, and The Rock turned heel in a crazy, crazy turn, slapped Cody Rhodes across the face, and it will be Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns in the main event of WrestleMania 40, which is just absolutely amazing. It's what all the fans want. And I wonder if The Rock's going to fight someone like Seth Rollins. It's a shame he can't fight CM Punk. CM Punk's going to be the host of WrestleMania this year as he nurses his tricep injury. WrestleMania 40 shaping up to be very, very entertaining coming at you in April. Um, Let's do our little check-in with our, uh, what is it called, leagues, if you will. Of course, the NBA and the um, NHL, we check on them. Every few weeks just to see what's going on. A lot of trades in the NBA world. I saw the Timberwolves got Monte Morris. I saw Buddy Heald was getting shopped around. There's a lot going um, a lot going down in that realm. Let me see if I can remember anything off the top of my head. Not really. 
Um, does it really matter? Does it really matter if we go over the trades? Uh, I don't know if we know anything. But record-wise in the Eastern Conference, Celtics still the best team in the NBA in general. They got 39 wins, 12 losses on a two-game win streak. They've been dominant. 24-3 and at home is super impressive. Celtics still the best. But I don't know if they're championship caliber. That's just how I feel. Cavaliers are the number two team in the Eastern Conference with a 33 and 16 record. They're on a seven-game win streak and are nine and one. Their last ten, very impressive from the young Cavaliers. Of course, Donovan Mitchell on that team, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, fun team. Bucks are in third with a 33 and 18 record, despite being on a two-game losing streak. Five and five, their last ten. The hiring of Doc Rivers as their head coach has just not paid off well for the Milwaukee Bucks. Number four, your Knicks. They're 33-18, and 9-1 their last 10, been playing good ball. 76ers, 30-20, are on a three-game losing streak and are now down to the fifth spot. So those are your top five. Any other big uh, noticing things? The Pistons, 7-43. and 43, They actually picked up a win last night. Good for them. Wizards, 9-41. and 41, They're on a four-game losing streak yet. Yet to hit the double-digit win mark, but they're getting close. They're getting close. And the Hornets, with a 10-40 and 40 record, are on a nine-game losing streak. Very, very embarrassing. Nothing, nothing else too much. Raptors, Nets, Hawks, Bulls, Magic, they're all kind of middle of the pack. The big boys, Celtics, Cavs, Bucks, Knicks, maybe 76ers. It's really, really interesting to see what will uh, come of the Eastern Conference. In some sad news in the uh, Western Conference, the Timberwolves are now tied with, there's a three-way tie for the number one seed. They're officially at the number two seed between the Thunder, Timberwolves, and Nuggets, who are all 35-16. and 16. Thunder and Timberwolves both lost the other night. Nuggets are on a two-game win streak. It's shaping up to be pretty crazy um, come playoff time. Clippers on um, Clippers actually could have won. Uh, the conference or uh, taking over the conference, but they lost the other night. Uh, Russell Westbrook can only do so much. So unfortunate. Um, Pelicans are on a four-game win streak. They're in six. Everyone else kind of middle of the pack. Grizzlies are on a six-game losing streak. Spurs are 10-41 and 41 on a five-game losing streak. You know, the NBA, it's, I don't know, the NBA and NHL, as much as they're like fun leagues, they'll just never be able to compete with the NFL for their publicity, for their stardom. But, I mean, LeBron's a star, but you know what I'm saying. That's the NBA for you. Current leaders, Thunder and Celtics. Timberwolves, come on, get it going. Moving over to the NHL. Let's check in with our teams. Tied for the best team in the league and the number one team in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Bruins, 32-10-9 record. They've got 73 points. Through all of their games. Um, we'll just kind of point out anyone who's been doing good, anyone's been doing bad. I mean, Senators, 20-25-2 record. Uh, they're last in their division. Rangers doing pretty good. 67 points, 32-16-3 record. They're on a little three-game heater. Capitals are on a six-game losing streak. They're now down to 22-20-7 near the bottom of the pack. But the Blue Jackets, least amount of wins, least amount of points in the Eastern Conference with a 16-24-10 record. Don't really know too much about what's going on there, but uh, the Western Conference, I believe, has been much better as of late. In some unfortunate news, though, um, the Oilers, who were on like a 17-16 game win streak, lost. Um, 
Very unfortunate to see you with the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, it was fun. It was fun while it lasted. Connor McDavid is stud. The Andres Dattel, absolute amazing player. But the uh, Canucks continue to rule the Western Conference. 73 points, 34-12-5. They got the most wins in the league. They've been good. And I remember when we had uh, Walker and Jaden on earlier uh, before the season began. One of them said that the Canucks would be an absolute unit. And they've been playing pretty good. Wild, I mean... 22, 23, and 5, bottom of the pack. And uh, tied for worst team in the league is the 14, 35, and 2, and the 14, 32, and 5, Sharks and Blackhawks. Both are bottom of the barrel. Blackhawks actually have less points, which is uh, basically wins. So 30, um, 30 points for the Blackhawks, the worst team in the league, five-game losing streak. Just nothing much. Nothing much has been going on in the NBA and NHL world. A couple trades here and there, all-star games and stuff, but, I mean, nothing nothing to really make me leap out of my seat and go, oh my gosh, this is so entertaining. Uh, I'm sure once the playoffs get going, it'll be more fun. I did want to mention, uh, earlier I mentioned I was going to talk about movies a bit, but the one movie that I did want to bring up was Leave the World Behind. And this movie, I watched it the other day. I was just looking for a quick movie to watch, something easy. I mean, this was two hours and 21 minutes, so it wasn't an easy movie. But stars Julia Roberts, Marsha Ali, Ethan Hawke. Um, very good movie. Uh, basically an apocalyptic psychological thriller is the de- actual definition of it. It's actually based on a novel, and it was just absolutely amazing. It's on Netflix, and basically the whole premise is this family from the city, they take a vacation, they stay at someone's house who like, rents it out, and eventually the uh, that's Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke. They stay at the house with their two kids. Then Mahershala Ali comes um, back there. You know, it's his house. There's some weird stuff going on in the city. He comes back with his daughter, who's one of the main characters in the film, and they're basically like, hey, we're going to stay here. And it's obviously suspenseful. You don't know what to think. And then slowly weird events start unfolding. They start finding stuff out. And you find out that the United States is under attack. It's absolutely wild. And the weird thing about this movie is there's really only eight characters. I'd say main characters. I mean, you get maybe like 10 or 11 more that, that, that like it kind of expand. But I mean, this was absolutely amazing. And it, what's really weird what is really weird is that the Obamas, the Obamas were like, um, what are they, executive producers of the film through their production banner. And uh, they even include the novel, the novel that was written about this book on their, uh, what is it there? Uh, where, where is this? Must read list. Their uh, summer reading list. And I won't lie, there's some weird things about like the rich elites knowing what's going on, uh, bunkers and stuff. It is a trippy trippy movie. I would very much encourage it. It gets a 9 out of 10 for me. It had me locked in from the very beginning, and I mean, I'm talking, I'm leaning back in my seat. I'm going, what, what's going to happen next? It was so suspenseful, and I was just caught off guard at how good it was. And one of the main things, is there are some shocking scenes. The sun goes through something that is just absolutely gross. There's weird stuff with deer. There's a whole lot of symbolism, and it's one of those movies you might have to walk, watch back and see what happens, but it's also very realistic about something that would happen. Uh, basically, they cut all the 
uh, Wi-Fi. They cut all the uh, phone lines so like no one can communicate with one another. They drop fake propaganda. They cut off transportation, like hijacking planes, uh, ships and stuff. And it is wild. It basically kind of, you learn at the end that the only way to topple a country like the United States is to destabilize them from within. In. So very haunting, very interesting themes about this movie. I, uh, I don't really know what to make of it, but um, you know what? Go watch it. Go watch it and give me your give me your opinion on what you think. And this is all about power. You know, the elites, they really care about power, but I'm going to learn how to stop them as we've been reading the 48 Laws of Power. What a segue. Got to call it how I see it. Um, and yeah, we've been, of course, reading the 48 Laws of Power, amazing book by Robert Greene. And as of right now, I'm halfway through law number 30, but last time we checked in, we talked about law 26, 25, 24. So today we'll be talking about 27, 28, and 29. So let's get right into it. Let's not waste any time. Law number 27 says, play on people's need to believe to create a cult-like following. And this is more for once you have power or just to gain a following, if you will, and here's what it says. People have an overwhelming desire to believe in something. Become the focal point of such desire by offering them a cause, a new faith to follow. Keep your words vague but full of promise. Emphasize enthusiasm over rationality and clear thinking. Give your new disciples rituals to perform. Ask them to make sacrifices on your behalf. In the absence of organized religion and grand causes, your new belief system will bring you untold power. This is much, this is very dark. Okay, this is a very dark chapter, reading how people just kind of use manipulation, if you will, to form cults. But there's basically, the science of this comes from charlatanism. And the charlatans um, basically taught, they didn't really teach it, but there are, they've laid out the five steps. Um, step one to begin a cult, if you will, is to keep it vague, keep it simple. The idea behind it can't be too elaborate, which is how a lot of cults are able to come into power. And this doesn't necessarily have to be a cult like Scientology like Satanism, stuff like that. This could be just you just being like the center of attention around something, you know? Like, I'd even call like the Joe Rogan podcast has a cult-like following. You hear the term cult-like following? That's what it means for people, you know, they listen to it all the time. They love Joe. They almost come to worship Joe, certain sort of stuff like that. Step two is to emphasize the visual and the sensual over the intellectual. If you get people thinking that stuff is uh, outer-worldly rather than intellectually, like if you make them not need a reason to logically think, then they're more adept to follow you. Step three, borrow the forms of organized religion to structure the group. As your cult-like following grows, you have to organize it, you know? I, I can compare this to... The Bible, if you will, in Christianity, you know, you got apostles and disciples and prophets and stuff like that. If you kind of structure your people like that, it can kind of help better manage them. Step four is to disguise your source of income. This is the main reason people create cults and stuff, get cult-like followings, and it's to get money, okay? Your group grows, you structure it like a church, and then your coffers begin to fill you with your uh, with your pockets full of money, if you know what I'm saying. It's all about the money in the end. 
And the final step is to set up an us versus them dynamic. It's basically you guys versus the world, you guys versus another group, and that you guys are superior. And I've actually watched a video about this. It was from the 70s, 80s. It was an old one. And it basically basically told how the, like Nazism was able to start as people were like, well, if the Nazis knew that, that, like if Germans knew it was bad, then why were they following them and joining them? It's because they were kind of tricked into it. They were kind of, they, Hitler, uh, preyed on their, what's the word, um, patriotism, if you will, pride on their desire to get out of the hole they were in. Of course, the Germans uh, were part of the blame for World War One and Two, but they the punishment they received after World War One is directly pointed to World War Two, which is very fascinating. Um, and basically, there are a couple of observances of the law it talks about a guy who made women think that he could, uh, how do you say it, like heal them from stuff, and he would basically just be like poking them with rods and like tasering them and stuff. This was back in like the 1600s, and it worked. And he got a cult-like following. He claimed to have like abilities and stuff, and it worked. Um, the same thing happened with a doctor from, where Where was he at? He was known as the Mountain Doctor. Uh, he was in... Trying to find what region he was in. He was in like the uh, European region, I'm talking Sweden, Poland, oh, Swiss. He was a Switzerland doctor. And he basically just kind of, he wasn't able to heal everyone, but he like someone, someone, he would tell people like, oh, I think you, uh, you like swallowed a dog or something, like something weird like that. And then he would like hit them with a big burst of like something, like pushing down or something. And outside the window, a dog would run. And the people back then, you know, they didn't know anything. It was back in the 1700s. And he was basically just using, basically from what the law said, like spectacles and stuff to make people uh, more think that he was superior than them. So here's the image, the magnet. The magnet, an unforeseen force, draws objects to it, which in turn become magnetized themselves, drawing other pieces to them. you got to be the magnet, okay? The magnetic power of the whole constantly increasing, but take away the original magnet and it all falls apart. Become the magnet, the invisible force that attracts people's imagination and holds them together. Once they have clustered around you, no power can wrest them away. The reversal to this law is pretty much, I mean, if the group sees through your lies, if you are lying, then you're done for. Then you're probably going to get killed. You're probably going to get attacked, which is the which the important, the casualties, if you will, of dealing with something as creating a cult. And I don't really take this as creating a cult. It's a cult-like following, I would say, which is how, I mean, look, at any celebrity you see, they've obtained power through having a cult-like following. They give people something to believe in. They always make sure that they are perfect, that they look good. That's one of the main aspects. Which brings us into law number 28. I love this one. Law number 28, one of my personal favorites. Enter action with boldness. Here's what the judgment says. If you are unsure of a course of action, do not attempt it. Your doubts and hesitations will infect your execution. Timidity is dangerous. Better to enter with boldness. Any mistakes you commit through audacity are easily corrected with more audacity. Everyone admires the bold. No one honors the timid. That's a very good quote right there. Being bold is one of the best characteristics, I say, that most people can have. But the opposite of boldness is hesitation. And when you hesitate, you know, you put obstacles in your way. You you overthink things, you know. You don't know whether to move. You know, crossing the log that goes over path through the cliff. You know, there's a log, there's a bridge going over a cliff. It looks kind of shaky. You hesitate too much crossing it. 
then you could fall down. But if you enter in boldly, you're more likely to cross it. Now, it does come to attention, like being bold on not choosing to go over it or hesitating to go over it, stuff like that. But this, this boldness applies more to just a majority of situations through life, such as interviews, such as getting jobs, asking the girl to marry you, asking a girl on a date, um, going out for a football team, uh, getting in a fight or something. I mean, boldness is amazing, and there's a lot of aspects of boldness. Beginning, the bolder the lie, the better. We all have weaknesses, and our efforts are never perfect. But entering action with boldness has the magical effect of hiding our deficiencies. Con artists know that the bolder the lie, the more convincing it becomes. Uh, the sheer audacity of the story makes it more credible, distracting attention from its inconsistencies. And we've heard this numerous, of numerous amount of times through reading this book about con artists, their boldness. One of the observances of the law, or of this law, uh, that it gave was basically this con artist back in the 1920s. He was able to sell the Eiffel Tower to a contractor about having repairs for it and when the um, contractor kind of hesitated he uh, basically the, the con artist raised the price as he said he had other dealers and he believed him because he was like okay why would the con artist raise me if he's just trying to swindle me out of some money and he was able to swindle him out of a lot more due to his boldness so I'm thinking if I ever been in a situation to lie by the way children lying is never good I never said lying was good sometimes it's necessary to use but if I'm ever in a situation, I'm going to know how to properly go about it. Lions circle the hesitant prey is another aspect. People have a sixth sense for the weakness of others. If in a first encounter you demonstrate your willingness to compromise, back down, retreat, you bring out the lion even in people who are not necessarily bloodthirsty. Everything depends on perception. And once you are seen as the kind of person who quickly goes on the defensive, who is willing to negotiate and be amenable, you will be pushed around without mercy. I need to work on this man. I need to work on this not being the hesitant prey. You know, I need to be the lion. I need to have authority. And this isn't being like a cringy, like alpha male, like, oh, I'm a sigma guy. You know, you know those weird terms that trend nowadays. No, an actual lion in this example is someone who uh, is aware of the people who they can use and they use them. Don't be the, never be the one being used, always be the user, okay? That sounds weird, actually. I take that back. If I edited this podcast more, then I would take that out. Next up, boldness strikes fear, fear creates authority. I mean, come on, the bold move makes you seem larger and more powerful than you are. And when you make a bold move, you get authority, you get respect. And this has happened a number of times whenever I've had to present is I go in with a boldness and people, people are honestly caught off guard by, it, you know, you see everyone go up in class and they stand at that podium and they give their speech. But I go up there and I'm walking up in front of the class. I'm giving dynamics. I'm changing my tone of voice. I'm getting into it. You get a sort of a sort of authority that comes with that. Another one, going halfway with half a heart digs the deeper grave. If you enter an action with less than total confidence, you set up obstacles in your own path. When a problem arises, you will grow confused, seeing options where there are none, and inadvertently creating more problems. Okay, uh, you, you see, you, you just can never do anything half-hearted. You know, if you're going to do something, commit to it. Commit. Don't half go to the gym. Commit to those five to four to five, six days at the gym, Okay. Don't half commit to writing your f paper. Write the damn full thing right now, okay? Don't half commit to, like, a job if you want it. Go all the way. And it goes the opposite way, you know? If you're only doing something half when you don't really want to, don't even give it any effort at all, okay? If you want to do something, give it your all. Because when you only dig halfway, your grave gets deeper. 
second from last, hesitation creates gaps. Boldness obliterates them. It's true. When you take time to think, to heave and ha, you create a gap that allows others time to think as well. I mean, I want you to think in a fight. Watching you, We watch UFC here. I'm sure a lot of listeners watch UFC. And, you know, if you, if you debate too much about what move you're going to throw, what punch you're going to throw, you'll get caught, you'll get taken down, you'll get knocked out, and that will be the end of you. But boldness destroys these gaps. The swiftness of the move and the energy of the action leave others no space to doubt and worry. Think of in seduction. Hesitation is fatal. It makes your victim conscious of your intentions. The bold move crowns seduction with triumphs. It leaves no time for reflection. That is right. You always gotta... If you're ever trying to seduce someone, this isn't even sexually. This is more of like a salesman, business deal. Okay? You can you gotta be bold with what you're saying. Okay, you can't be hesitant or else they'll see right through it and they will catch you lacking. Final little thing it says, um, audacity separates you from the herd. Boldness gives you presence and makes you seem larger than life. The timid fade into the wallpaper, the bold draw attention, and what draws attention draws power. We cannot keep our eyes off the audacious. We cannot wait to see their next bold move. You know, this happens to me. I mean, come on. The one kid who always gets up in class and does something silly, you know, always does something funny, challenges the teacher. You want to see that kid do something. Okay, when you see him getting into a mood, okay, you're kind of like, yeah, do your thing, man. I'm rooting for you. You just got to be careful with what you do. Um, another observance of the law that this gave was, who was it? Vasily Third. Oh, this was... I'm remembering this one. This is about Ivan the Terrible back in the 1500s. Uh, basically, uh, Russia. It was Russia before Russia. You know, it's still the cities of Moscow and stuff. But basically, Ivan the Terrible, uh, he, uh, so he, his whole family was like killed, and he was kept as like a prisoner to who? Who was it? It was was it the Bolsheviks? It was the Shuskis, the Shuskis, which was just this rival party, and they kept him in the palace, and they like abused him, they bullied him, and eventually. Ivan the Terrible, before he was the Terrible, he was just little Ivan, little Ivan the Third, the little prince, uh, he managed to convince the guards through his boldness uh, that uh, he, they should overthrow the Shutskis, and then he ended up doing that. He had the entire family killed, their, their whole lineage, and he managed to attain power. Now, he did go too far, okay? We don't really like the example of Ivan the Terrible after that. You know, we kind of like him when he was being abused and he was able to fight back, but uh, he had a boldness to him that envisioned others to follow him, to take control. Uh, this is a cool quote or, uh, by uh, Cardinal de Ritz. Uh, Fear, which always magnifies objects, gives a body to all their fancies, which takes for its form whatever they conceive to exist in their enemy's thoughts. So fear, you know, it magnifies in your enemy's thoughts. It conceives them the idea that you can do something. So much that fearful persons seldom fail to fall into real inconveniences, occasioned by imaginary dangers, and the duke, whose predominant character was to always be full of fear and of distrust, was of all men I have ever seen the most capable of falling into false steps by the dread he had fallen into, being in that like unto hairs. You know, as I read that, it kind of sounded confusing, right? That was back in the 1600s, though. You know those boys were writing kind of weird. But it basically talks about that. As much as fear, you know, conquer fear, if you use fear to your advantage, it can go a long way, okay? It could go a long way. I'm not saying do it. I'm not saying strike fear in people, 
But I'm saying, strike fear in people. Here's the image for you, the lion and the hare. The lion creates no gaps in his way. His movements are too swift. His jaws too quick and powerful. The timid hare will do anything to escape danger, but in its haste to retreat and flee, it backs into traps, hops smacks into enemies' jaws. Don't be the hare. Be the lion. And the reversal, um, boldness should not always be the strategy. Okay, boldness is to be taken to a lot of things, but you have to be smart with it, all right? If you use it all the time before you have power, all right, you're going to offend people, okay? You know, you can't always be honest. That's a lie. Honesty is the best policy. Well, yeah, let, let me see your your best friend, okay? He bought a brand new outfit. He's feeling flying it, and he looks like shit, okay? He, the fit is not working, all right? You're not going to tell him that is terrible. Take that off. No, you're going to say that looks good, man. Think about everyone who's ever gotten a haircut, okay? Do haircuts ever work out good? I'd say about 82.9% of the time, haircuts are not working out, okay? The haircuts are not working out, so you can't be honest with them, okay? Boldness can only take you so far, and you have to know when to use it. It's a skill. It's a skill. But the one thing that has no realm of, in the realm of power is timidity, all right? You will often benefit from boldness, but you will never benefit from timidity. Timidity? T-I-M-I-D-I-T-Y. Timidity. You know, it's like hesitation. Am I, am I saying the right? Timidity. Uh, I don't know. Um, ooh, I did just get a notification. This is live. This is live right now. Breaking news on the podcast. Uh, the Timberwolves won, which is good. Just good. I don't know why I shared that, but now you know. This will this actually be a, uh, a test if anyone listens to this. Um, I want you to uh, look up the Timberwolves score from their game last night. Uh, yeah, because if this drops in the morning last night, they played, gosh, I don't even know who it was, the Bucks maybe? I want you to tell me the score. I think it was a uh, was 100-something to another 100-something, but what were the exact numbers? I don't know. I'm just rambling, but we got one more law to cover, and this one I absolutely love. I need to follow it better. You know, I follow it to a T, but I'm, right now I'm, I'm going halfway with this. I got to dig all the way to the ground. Law number 29, plan all the way to the end. The ending is everything. Think about movies. Think about a game. Think about you trying to get with a girl. Think about you and the boys hanging out. All right? The ending of everything is everything. The ending of everything is everything. How about that? Plan all the way to the end. Take it into account all the possible consequences, obstacles, and twists of fortune that might reverse your hard work and give the glory to others. By planning to the end, you will not be overwhelmed by circumstances and you will know when to stop. Gently guide fortune and help determine the future by thinking far ahead. The example it gave was perfect. All right, it talked about this um, this man. His name was Vasco Nunes de Alboa, and he was a noble Spaniard. Uh, he hopped on a ship that was going to I, where was it at? I think it was Panama. You know, Panama, that whole region of Central America. And he hopped on the ship, and you know they wanted to throw him overboard, but. You know, he said, I have, uh, they, they were going to some island, or they were going to rescue some Spaniards, and they found out those Spaniards had died, okay? So the Balboa said, hey, I've heard of this island of gold, okay? And they go to their modern-day Panama, they set up a city, and he keeps trying to find the city of gold, and... No, things keep happening to him. People keep questioning what he's going to do. He keeps going through forests, losing men, and he never had a plan. Okay, and by the time it was all said and done, people from Spain had sent other people back, and he was eventually put out of power. And how did his story end? Well, his story ended with his head plopping in a basket. That is right, Balboa died. And it's because he never planned. You know, he sold people. He sold himself on the idea of becoming rich, but he never knew how to become rich. 
Take this from Herodotus of the 5th century. Look to the end, no matter what it is you are considering. Often enough, God gives a man a glimpse of happiness and then utterly ruins him. You know? God can show you, show you certain things, but he knows the motives of everyone, if they're good or if they're evil. Another observance of the law here was in 1863, the Prussian premier, uh, the leader, Otto von Bismarck, um, basically took, uh, took over a majority of um, uh, the European area. Um, I mean, he didn't take over France and Austria and England, but uh, he was able to take over modern-day Prussia. Um, where, what else did he take over? He took over a number of areas. He basically... Germany before was just Germanic kingdoms. It was like Seven Weeks War, something it was called. And he basically conquered enough land that he wanted to. He had a plan to conquer a lot of land, and he conquered a set amount of land, which became modern-day Russia. And everyone was like, why didn't you keep going? Why didn't you keep going? And he basically basically didn't say tell them anything, but in the end they understood that the final move of his original plan was to just conquer the set area of Germany and rule over it. He didn't want to be greedy because he knew if he expanded into the UK, you know, he expanded into French territory, uh, the Spaniards, he would get conquered, you know, he would get conquered, so he was smart with what he did. There's a simple reason why most men never know when to come off the attack is because they form no concrete idea of their goal. Mm, think about that. Uh, here's a quote by Walter, Walter Benjamin. He who asks fortune tellers the future unwittingly forfeits an inner intimation of coming events that is a thousand times more exact than anything they may say. All right. You don't need to know the future. You have to plan the future and you have to get to it. That's how it's going. Oh, yeah. Keys to power. I mean, you just you got to know when to stop. I mean, the ancient Athenians back in, back in the days of the Romans, you know, not the, not the Roman Empire, but, uh, you know, ancient Greece, if you will, ancient Greece, the Athenians tried to attack Sicily, who they had a greater army than, but they expanded their forces, they ended up getting caught, and they failed. All right, they failed. And that was actually the end of the Athenian Empire, which I find very, very fascinating. Um, one of the biggest downfalls of all time, which honestly gives me no hope for America, the way we're going. Our empire is going to fall soon. Um, let me paint an image for you. The gods on Mount Olympus looking down on human actions from the clouds. They see in advance the endings of all the great dreams that lead to disaster and tragedy. Tragedy, And they laugh at our inability to see beyond the moment and at how we delude ourselves. We can thank the ancient Greeks for that um, quote right there. But what it's really saying is that if you do not plan to the end, not just the plan in general, all right, I plan on all my days. No, I write down, apply for jobs. I write, work on resume. I write, write a page of a book. I write accounting homework. I write, go to the gym. I write, take my exam. I write, go for a run. I write all that, but do I really plan to the end? Or do I just write something down so I can check off a damn box and feel good about myself, you know? This book really um, this book really gets me, and I think I'm ready to start planning until the end so I can begin my conquest of the world and take over. Now, that sounds so dark. That's not even who I am. But yes, The 48 Laws of Power rages on as we will give you more chapters next week on the next episode. And that will end us. No, I'm just kidding. That will end us on The 48 Laws of Power, but there is one big thing. Going down this weekend. If uh, did you guys hear that? There's a there's apparently some big football game. I don't know. A couple of my teachers on Monday actually moved back some exams. Said class was optional because this Sunday is the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. What are we up to now? Fifty eight. We up to Super Bowl fifty eight. I don't even know what Super Bowl we're on. We've had so many. The 49ers will take on the Chiefs, um, in what will be an epic, epic matchup. And of course, 
of course, we got to drop our prediction. One game, one prediction, and it's 50-50. It is 50-50. Anything can happen. I'll briefly mention my fantasy football league that I'm in. Of course, the one we created. Um, my buddy Tyler, he's got Brandon Ayuk, Travis Kelsey, and Harrison Bucker in this game. Really like the Travis Kelsey pick. I feel he's really going to do well. I just, they just, they're writing this little storyline here. The NFL is Harrison Butker. The Chiefs are always kicking field goals. And Brandon Ayuk, all right, the number one wide receiver when he's out, when no one else is healthy. I mean, Brandon Ayuk's a dog. My buddy Landon, he's got Rasheed Rice and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Rasheed Rice, if we take Patrick, I mean, Travis Kelsey out of the picture, that's his number one target. And Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Don't sleep on him. I've got three players. I've got Isaiah Pacheco, number one wide running back for the Chiefs. Debo Samuel. Honestly, him and Ayuk. And Debo might be better than Ayuk, honestly. And I got George Kittle, who's hit or miss, but we had to snag him. And Dane's got Christian McCaffrey. It's looking like Tyler's going to win, but I'm trying to make a little run. You know, I only trail him by a couple points. Landon and Dane are starting to fade, but we'll, we'll see what happens. It's super exciting. I like doing stuff like this. I'm going to try and expand on it in years to come. So what do I think? Well, who, who do I think will be the winner? And this is not as easy as it may seem. It is just nowhere near as easy. I mean, you could just Google Super Bowl facts right now, and it's it's just, it's just tough to tell, like, what facts will play, and, and, like, actual impact. I mean, this is a rematch, by the way, from Super Bowl 54. In 2019, the Chiefs won 31-20. to which is pretty interesting. This is actually the Chiefs' fourth, fourth appearance in the Super Bowl in five years. Um, their only appearance they didn't make was win the, uh, what's it called? Dum uh, diddy dum. Uh, what, what am I trying to think of? Oh, the bucket, not the bucket. They, the Bengals and the Rams. God damn it, that's what it was. Sorry for my cursing, but um, I was getting a little frustrated there. Uh... The Chiefs are looking to become the first back-to-back champions since the Patriots did in 2003. And, um, yeah, it's uh, it's up to be a good one. Of course, everyone's talking about Taylor Swift and stuff. I care less for Taylor Swift, if I'm being honest. She, uh, she I have no interest in her. No interest. She, I've grown annoyed over her over the season. And I'm just, I'm just hoping, I'm really hoping that uh, Brock Purdy gets it done. I got to think who I'm rooting for. I have to think who I'm rooting for. And obviously I pick on who I think will win, but I'm I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm going to root for a team to win, and I'm rooting for the 49ers. Picks in 49ers. And let me just be honest. Let me just be honest. I'm picking the 49ers because I do not want to see the Chiefs win. I do not want to see the Chiefs win. Okay? It is it's just so, so boring watching this Chiefs dynasty. Okay, and just Travis Kelsey has become so unlikable. Patrick Mahomes is becoming cringy. I feel bad for Isaiah Pacheco and Rasheed Rice. They're getting caught in the crossfire. And this whole storyline with Brock Purdy, a great Christian man, an amazing human being, absolute dog. I mean, I am a, I'm, I'm a very big Brock Purdy supporter. Christian McCaffrey, I would love to see him win a Super Bowl. I mean, dude, dude is on track to become one of the greatest running backs, if not he already is, of all time. I mean, he just won Offensive Player of the Year. For this season, okay? But by the way, controversy, controversy, Miles Garrett, one defensive player of the year, didn't really have the best year. If you're asking me, he had a mediocre year, but interesting enough. Um, I mean, when we look at the 49ers, because I got to drop a score prediction for you. I mean, 49ers, they've scored 34 and 24 in the playoffs so far. Uh, both of those three point games, by the way, wow. Um, they've put up 20, 27, 45. 
19, 28, 42, 28, 31. I mean, I'm expecting I'm expecting a 20 to 30-point performance from the 49ers here. They usually they usually give up as much as their opponents give up when that when it comes to points. But um, the Chiefs, the Chiefs, 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 Chiefs are a tough one. Um, you know, they kind of got lucky with the Ravens. I mean, Lamar Jackson kind of choked, choked with the game on the line. Chiefs are kind of similar. They kind of play up to their opponent. Besides, we look at a couple anomalies with that Dolphins game. But think about the Bills and Ravens, both one-score games. Um, Chiefs had a good year. Both teams have 14 wins, which I find pretty impeccable. Uh, six losses for the Chiefs, five for the 49ers, and you know what? Chiefs were the number three seed. 49ers were the number one seed. This is the type of matchup I like to see. I do think it'll be close, but last last time they played, 49ers lost 31-20. to Am I one for theater? Am I one for drama? Am I one for the storyline? Give me 49ers over Chiefs 31-20 to in the rematch from Super Bowl 54. Yeah. But, oh man, you know, Super Bowl, great times, great vibes, um, nothing much more to say, nothing much more to say, you know, I, they obviously go in-depth about the Super Bowl all week, I won't over-bombard with anything, I'm rooting for the 49ers, you know, I'm just I'm kind of tired with the Chiefs, it's weird, because I never got tired of the Patriots dynasty, never got tired of the Warriors dynasty, I'm already tired of whatever the Chiefs got going on, so if they could get over that, if we could go back to the days of a different team wins every year, that'd be good, um, but yeah. As for now, I will ride with the 49ers, which is weird because I never thought I'd really be rooting for the 49ers. Uh, but I'll tell you who I was rooting for. I was rooting for his battle against, what was it, stomach or throat cancer, and that was the great, the powerful Toby Keith. Love Toby Keith. Amazing music. It was so sad to hear they died, 62 years old. That age really hits hard for me. Man, you know, because, uh, you know, uh, I got a lot of family members who are kind of getting up there in age. And, you know, you kind of look at Toby Keith, you know. Um, you know, it just gets everyone. Celebrities, random people alike, the illness will get you. But in honor of Toby Keith, we are going to be going through my top ten Toby Keith songs. And I was looking at his uh, discography, and I was kind of like, oh, man, do I even know to ten Toby Keith songs? And I came up with, like, 15 that I actually knew, and I broke them down from there. So without a doubt, this one goes out to you, Toby Keith. Rest in peace. May the Lord watch over your soul. Here are my top ten Toby Keith songs of all time, in my opinion. Obviously, got a lot of favorites on here. Checking in at number 10 is As Good As I Once Was. It's a very, very funny uh, song when it comes to his music videos. Toby Keith always put on the best music videos, but kind of goes like, I ain't as good as I once was, but I'm good once as I ever was. I mean, it is it's a very good tune. Well, it gets you going, and when you think about the meaning of it, I ain't as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. All right, one last time for the lady or something that he's talking about. One last go, and we're all going to reach a point where we're kind of like, you know, we're not in our prime anymore, okay? We're not in our prime. But as long as you kind of just keep a good mentality about life, you'll be sitting tight and pretty. Tight and pretty, that kind of sounds weird. Anyways, on to song number nine, How Do You Like Me Now? I mean, who? this is just, this is a great song. Basically talks about an old girlfriend or something curving him, and he comes back, and he's this rich country star. Yeah, he's all pimp, and he's like, How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my way, made you say something like that. I mean, actually, you know, gosh darn it. I, I think I'm going to add that to my playlist. I'm actually going to add that to my playlist right now or listen to it afterwards. My goodness, maybe I'll go for a late-night drive and listen to it. I mean... 
Toby Keith put on so many bangers. I remember this one. This, uh, this song was like he was in like a mansion or something. So it kind of correlated to like, how do you like me now? Like I've been doing pretty good. Stuff like that. Another one of Toby Keith's fun songs. Checking in at number eight is Who's Your Daddy? I mean, oh my gosh, this song is so funny. It goes like, Who's your daddy? Who's your baby? Who's your buddy? Who's your man? And I mean, who's your daddy? I mean, come on. You, you can say that to your buddies too. Like, oh man, who's your daddy? Again, again, another weird thing I've just said, but I like this song. It's fun. It's basically talking about, oh, uh, I'm just trying to figure out what you want. Like, who? Who who is what to whom, if you know what I'm saying? I mean, I like to be philosophical sometimes with what I say. Good Toby Keith song. Very one of his uh, better ones he's put out. An underrated one, checking in at number seven, is Bullet in the Gun. Um, I actually, this wasn't even in like his uh, essential songs on Apple Music, but I absolutely love this song. The music video is great. Uh, Toby Keith stars as kind of like this outlaw, if you will. He meets this girl. They go on this little Bonnie and Clyde run. They get busted. Um, I think he ditches her in the end, or she ditches him or something, leaves him out for play, but super good. Like, uh, never, never one thing, it'll catch you by surprise, is that one word in your soul, that fire in your eye makes you fall against and that horse when they run, and the fire's on the table, and the bullet's in the gun, yeah, that's right, I knew it, I remembered it off the top of my head. Very good song, very much liked it. And there's always this line in here. I um I never knew what it said. It had to deal with Elvis, and uh, it, was so, it was something about um like we got married to like an Elvis in Las Vegas. And I was always confused by that. I was like Elvis in Las Vegas was just kind of pointing fact the f- pointing uh pointing a fun fun fact or was it pointing a finger at the fact that there's a lot of Elvis impersonators and it's easy to get married in Las Vegas. So bullet in the gun at number seven. Number six, Should Have Been a Cowboy. And, I mean, this song is iconic. I should have been a cowboy. Should have learned to love it. Oh, my goodness. Toby, man. Toby, I should have been a cowboy. Sometimes I think about, you know, playing Red Dead Redemption 2, seeing ranchers out in Wyoming, out in Montana. Man, I wish I was a cowboy. I wish I was back in the 1800s, you know, in an outlaw gang or something like that. Toby Keith, digging deep into the soul with some of these songs. Getting into our top five. This is arguably one of his most popular ones. One of the more iconic ones. And it lands at number five. Red Solo Cup. Red Solo Cup. I lift you up. Proceed to party. I mean, who doesn't love a Red Solo Cup full of some ice cold beer? Throw a little Coors in there. Throw a little... I didn't really have Bush. I'm more of a Coors guy. Coors Banquet. Ooh, I might have some Coors Banquet this weekend. Now that I'm thinking about it. I am 21. For any of my uh, newer listeners. But yes, I mean, just amazing stuff. Red Solo Cup. Up, fun video too and he ends the song so beautifully kind of gets down slow and then brings it home with an amazing chorus toby keith excellent song here number four i actually love this song american ride it is so good it's like that's the beat that really gave no one any hint what's about it's like that's us, that's right, God love this American right. I mean, Toby Keith just really impersonates what it's like to be a working class American. All right, just bring it home. He just seemed like such a likable guy. He would sing in bars sometimes, and American Ride is so good. It really gets you amped, too. Like, you're like yeah, I'm, a, I'm an American. I'm ready to, I'm ready to make a million dollars. I'm ready to, ready to, I don't know, get with a supermodel. I'm ready to run the country. I mean, I'm just scrapping Donald Trump's life, aren't I? Um, but yes, American Ride, very good song 
And with that, we get into my top three Toby Keith songs of all time. What makes this even sad is number three I had been listening to recently just out of just how I found it on just random like uh, Apple generates random playlists and I was jamming to it. And it's very unfortunate that he passed away. But man, number three is I Love This Bar. And this was my, during the summer at least, this was my post-gym song. I would go to the gym at 5 in the morning before work. And as I'm coming back, the sun's coming up. I love this bar. I love this place. Just rolling through the front door. Puts a big smile on my face. No cover charge. I mean, it is just such a good singing song. They should turn this on at every bar. I encourage it. It is easy lyrics to know. Great meaning. I mean, just amazing rhymes, amazing riddles. Love it. I love this bar, Toby Keith. And I love you, Toby. I love you. I don't really have a specific bar I love, but maybe one day I'll find a good old bar and I'll sing this song dedicated to it. Checking in at number two. I was, I was close between my number two and number one, but I had to decide what, what songs get me more amped. And as much as I love number two, number one does get me a bit more amped. But number two, I can listen to this all the time. It is Beer for My Horses. I mean, teaming up with Willie Nelson. An amazing music video, by the way, too, about two like detectives teaming up. They catch a bad guy. Super funny, super comical. I used to watch the Country Music Video Network when I was a kid. I know y'all watching, y'all watching SpongeBob and Fairly Odd Parents, and I'm out here watching music videos of country stars. I mean, no one, no wonder I have a natural, beautiful country accent, as you can tell. But yeah, beer for our horses. It's like, uh, was it whiskey for my men? Beer for my horses, yeah, just an amazing song. Beer for my horses, so good, Toby, so so good. Which leads us to my number one song, and come on, guys, it's without a doubt his number one song. I feel like I'm finally in agreement with the masses when it comes to something that is courtesy of the red, white, and blue. And this is this is, I mean, American Ride gets me all riled up to be an American. Courtesy of the red, white, and blue gets me all going. He goes, "We'll put a boot in your ass." That's the American way. Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list and the statue of liberty started shaking up i mean come on come on i'm not even a huge country guy i've been kind of getting into a little country music lately i float around with all genres you know i'm the neighborhood tramp the way i get around with all these songs you know i, I don't like to put all my eggs in one musical basket i like to try different things find stuff out i mean never really been big on uh funk if i'm being honest i've tried to get into funk uh slow jazz slow jazz very much like slow paced music in general you know like sad songs you have to be in a mood for that but Courtesy of the red, white, and blue, good for any occasion. It gets the car going. It gets the American blood flowing. It's got to be the 4th of July anthem. I mean, come on. It's got to be the 4th of July anthem. Toby Keith, you are, without a doubt, one of my favorite country singers of all time. I was I was actually really sad when I saw he passed. I mean, I've been seeing his... I've been seeing a lot of people posting about him on their story, and I was like, what, what's going on? Did he drop a new album? Like, did, was, is everyone just in Toby Keith mode? And I saw that he passed away, and this was very sad. And obviously, I'm a content content man, so I, uh, I use this for uh, content. But in the way, it is a tribute to you, Toby Keith. Very much respectful for what you've done for the community and for country music in general. I give you a big old American salute, Toby. Have a cold one for me up there. And with that, we go to our final topic. And, you know, I kind of kind of went through all my stuff real quick. I had a couple other things I wanted to talk about. But um, I was just buzzing 
too much with uh, talking about the fights for UFC Vegas 86. But before we get into that, um, of course, you know, this isn't this isn't a professional podcast. We break news live here on the podcast. And just we all know, the NFL Comeback Player of the Year with 250 yards and multiple passing touchdowns in every single game he played in, Joe Flacco. They didn't give it to DeMar Hamlin. I'm so happy they did not give that award to, Joe, to uh, DeMar Hamlin. DeMar Hamlin was not deserving of Comeback Player of the year it goes to the man Joe Flacco I mean he brought the Browns to the playoffs heartbreaking loss but I mean CJ Strode was just on fire um very cool very fun but that doesn't stop us let's get into our 14 fight card as of right now 14 fights on this card we got a lot to go through I've got 14 picks to make I've got 14 uh ways the fights are going to end to predict so let's get to it let me actually find my phone so I can put all my uh, picks on verdict officially Alrighty, and the fans are ready. The fighters are ready. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Who says that? Who says that? Is that Bruce, is that Bruce Buffer? I don't know. Let's head right to the first prelim of the night. As we get, there's a, there's a multiple undefeated fighters on this card, and we kick off the night with an undefeated fighter in Daniel Soncora Marcos, who's 15 and 0 as he takes on. Apologies, Al Gorquin, who is uh, the Mongolian murderer. 25 and 10, um, very beautiful name, but it's A-O-R-I-Q-I-L-E-N-G, I believe it's Algonquin, I believe it's Algonquin, I don't know, we'll hear on the broadcast, let's check in, oh actually no, we gotta do the tail of the tape, I'm getting too excited, both Daniel and Algonquin are 5'7", and have a 69 inch reach, and have an orthodox stance, and are both 30 years old, the matchmakers outdid themselves on this card, I'll let you know that. Daniel Marcos, 30 years old, is from Peru. That's right, we have a Peruanese fighter. Is that the correct, correct thing? Um, he's actually uh, 21 and 0, full, like in every fight he's had. He's 6 and 0 in his amateur career, 15 and 0 in his professional career. Of his 15 victories, 8 by knockout, the other 7 by decision. Came on the Dana White's Contender Series in 2022. Guy who went on there, had his debut last year at UFC 283, got around to TKO. His last fight in July in London, he had a split decision win over Davy Grant. I was debatable if he won, but he's back. He's ready to get it going. Well, this guy's talented. Okay, I remember his TKO win over Sam and Oliveira, UFC 283. The knees were on fire. He dropped them. I mean, dude is a killer. Dude is a Peru and he's a killer. But uh, we got killers and then we got murderers. That's right, Algonquin, the Mongolian murderer. 30 years old, of course, from China. Of his 25 victories, 9 by knockout. An outstanding 16 decision wins. This, this man's, this man's. Debut in the UFC in 2021 to a fight of the night loss against Jeff Molina. Followed that up with a unanimous decision loss against Cody Durden. His career was on the line in the UFC when he knocked out Cameron Else in April of 2022 in round number one. Following that, he would beat Jay Perrin in August 2022 before getting knocked out by Eamon Zahabi in a minute and four seconds in June of 2023. Last time out, October 7th, 2023, he was able to beat Johnny Munoz in dominant fashion in that fight actually he was able to survive the grappling of johnny munoz was able to drop him in the final rounds an impressive performance by algonquin sorry for you algonquin though i will be riding with daniel marcos i mean come on come on i love undefeated fighters i hate to bet against them although it would have paid off against azat maxum but i do believe that uh, daniel marcos is talented and davy grant is better than algonquin Okay, so Davy Grant couldn't beat him. You know, I don't think Algonquin's going to beat him. But how is he going to beat him? 
gosh darn it. I suppose I actually have to predict that. I actually have to give my input on uh, what I think will happen here. I, you know, I'm going to say round one knockout. I really love the round one knockouts to kick off the cards, and I'll be very optimistic. Um, I'm very busy this weekend, so hopefully I'm able to catch this card. But Daniel Marcos, I wish you the best of luck. Moving into our uh, next fight of the evening, we do have a featherweight matchup between Fern Garcia and Hyder the Hurricane Emil. Hyder. His first name's Hyder. That is freaking dope, Hyder. I love that name. Uh, Fern Garcia is 10 and 4. Hyder is a perfect 8 and 0. 5'9 to 5'7 gives Hyder a 2 inch height advantage. And with a 70 to 67 reach advantage, he also gets 3 inches. Right? He's got the height in all the areas, if you know what I'm saying. Emil's got a switch stance, and Garcia's got an orthodox stance. That means, you know, Fern Garcia's leading with that uh, right hand punch. You know, obviously. Left hand jab, right hand punch. Meanwhile, Hyder, he switches it up. He throws some kicks at you. He keeps you guessing. Let's check him with the hurricane first. Hyder Emil is 33 years old from California. Of his eight victories, four by knockout, one by submission. Fought on the last season of Dana White's Contender Series, so his last fight was actually back in August. He was able to win a unanimous decision over Emra Sonmez, but the one notable thing I'll point out is um, that he was able to defend 17 takedowns, 5 of 23 from Sonmez on him. Hyder Emil had amazing takedown defense, uh, more total strikes than Emra, but in the significant strike department, not too much. This was a weird fight. I don't know if Hyder was signed immediately after, but nonetheless, he's here now and ready to perform. His uh, opponent, Fern Garcia, 31 years old from Texas, of his 10 victories, one by knockout, three by sub, debuted on season five of Dana White's Contender Series with a round one knockout. Joshua Weems, since then, he went 0-2 in 2022 and 0-1 in 2023. Nemeth's decision losses to Journey Newsom, Brady Heist, and last time out in August at UFC Singapore, got brutalized by Rinya Nakamura, taken down, beaten up on the feet. Rinya Nakamura was locked in, and I'm sorry, Fern. But the one thing, Fern hasn't been finished. And I'll say if Rinya Nakamura is not finishing you, then I definitely don't think Hyder Emil is going to finish you. So we are going to give this one to Hyder Emil, but I am going to say by unanimous decision, you know, not because not I don't think Hyder can get finished, but I just think that, you know, if if you're not finishing lower level guys and if what's if Fern Garcia is not getting finished by better guys, then, uh, yeah, I do not think that you're going to uh, get the finish here. But nonetheless, I'll be rooting for a good fight. Keeping our prelims rolling with our third fight of the evening, we've got a fight at light heavyweight between Zach, the High Chief Pauga, and Bogdong. I am so sorry to all my uh, Czech, Czech people, but Sarvich, Bogdan Sarvich Guskov. His nickname is Sarvich. Kind of badass when you say it out loud. I won't lie. Oh, pardon my language. Uh, Zach Pauga is 7-2 and two professionally. Bogdong is 14-3. and three. Zach has one inch in negative height. That's right. Bogdan has the reach 6-3 to 6-2. I tricked you. Both have a 76-inch reach. The height was 6-3 to 6-2. My apologies. And both fighters stand orthodox. Zach Pauga. Oh, man. He is currently 1-2 in the UFC. Coming off loss to Modestus Bukakis back in June. He was able to beat Jordan Wright in February. Um, but he did lose the Ultimate Fighter Season 30 to Muhammad Uzman. Got knocked out clean in Round 2 back in August of 2022. The 35-year-old is from Colorado and actually trains at Elevation Fight Team with the notable Curtis Blades, Corey Sanhagen. Excellent top five fighters in their respective divisions. 
Of his seven victories, though, only one by knockout. Six by decision, you know, Zach Palga, I've seen all three of your fights in the UFC. They've all sucked, except for when Muhammad Usman knocked you out. That, that did make me happy. That did make me happy. His opponent, Bogdan Guskov. 31 years old, he was born in Uzbekistan, but now lives and trains in Russia. 12 knockouts, 2 subs, give him a 100% finish rate. Now, he did lose a short notice fight against Volkan Ozdemir back in September, got submitted in round number 1 after being knocked down. I will give the credit to Bognaz that Volkan Ozdemir is a legit fighter. Okay, you know, Volkan, as of right now, is ranked number 9 at men's light heavyweight, and that's a tough debut to make on short notice when you haven't really been fighting people up to that level. Bogdan should handle Zach Palga accordingly. I do think Zach is a bit durable. I do think he's a bit durable, so I will say round 2 TKO. Well, round 2 TKO for uh, Bogdan. But uh, I do expect Bogdan to handle business in this one. He's bald, by the way. He is a bald mother trucker, right? Bogdan is hairless as they come. He kind of looks like a supervillain, if I'm being honest. One more breaking news to end the night as Ravens QB Lamar Jackson has been named the AP NFL MVP for the second time in his career, the 11th player to win it multiple times. That's right. Lamar Jackson win, won the MVP. At this, this point, I want to give it to Christian McCaffrey, Brock Purdy. I'd give it to Patrick Mahomes over him after that pitiful performance against the Chiefs. So good job, Lamar, but, you know, didn't help you in the playoffs. Game us rolling. We got a fun one here at Welterweight. Matchmaker's doing an amazing job. Oh, and by the way, if one of the reasons that I'm picking Bogdan is that Zach Pauga reached third, the age of 35. And there's just some about fighters when they reach the age of 35 and up, they kind of lose an edge. Now, to his benefit, that is at light heavyweight. It's usually for the younger fighters they lose an edge. But, you know, I do think it's a notable stat. At welterweight, Max Payne Griffin, notable, a staple of the men's welterweight division, and Jeremiah Wells will go to battle. Max Payne Griffin is 19-10 for his professional record. Jeremiah Wells is 12-3-1. 5'11 to 5'9 gives Max 2 inches in height and 2 inches in reach, 76-74. Orthodox stance for Max Griffin, a switch stance for the uh, grappling Jeremiah Wells. Who should we start off with? Let's start off with Jeremiah Jeremiah Wells, the kid's 37 from Pennsylvania, 5 KOs, 4 subs. That's right. He is not a kid. Nine, nine finishes of his 12 victories. Um, at one point, at one point was on a big winning streak, like a 7-5 winning streak. Started out his UFC career 4-0 um, before losing last minute to Carlson Harris in round number three back in August, which was such a choke. I, not as bad as the Mike Mallett choke, but equally bad. He held split decision win over Matthew Selmelsberger, round one knockouts of Court McGee, round one knockouts of Walray Alvarez, round one submission of Blood Diamond. Jeremiah Wilkes is very talented, uh, definitely a grappler. I'll say that, that Court McGee knockout is certainly very rare. I mean, I saw him get dropped twice by Matthew Semmelsberger. But the one thing I have about Carlson Harris is, you know, Jeremiah took him down but got caught in an anaconda, kind of gassed out. He's got to be careful, but this man's a grappler through and through. His opponent, Max Griffin, 38 years old from Sacramento, California. Nine KOs and two subs make up his 19 victories. He's only been finished once in his entire UFC career. And guess who that was too? In his UFC debut back in 2016, he got TKO'd in round three by Colby Covington. I mean, come on. You've been finished once in your career. This is the Colby Covington. That's not too bad. 
Max Griffin floating in and out of the winning and losing of his career. I mean, he's had five of the night losses to Lizio's Los Guido Santos. Unanimous decision wins over Mike Perry. Uh, decision losses to Alex, per, uh, Alex Oliveira. Uh, round one knockouts of uh, Song Kinong. Unanimous decision wins over Carlos Condit. He's lost by split decision to Neil Magny. Should have won that fight, by the way. Beaten Tim Means by split decision. And he's coming off a unanimous decision loss to Michael Morales back in July. That was, you know, he did get outstruck in that one, got taken down. But Max Griffin is very durable. However, however, I will say, I will say, I do think, uh, I don't know, actually, you know, Max Griffin, he's got punch and power. Uh, I don't really know. How, how is this takedown defense? I would like to see that. I would like to see that because um, Jeremiah Wells averages 3.89 takedowns per minute. His takedown defense is 69% for Griffin, 43% for Jeremiah Wells. I don't know who to go with. I'm actually torn. Um, You know, I'm going to say, you know, Jeremiah Wells is a year younger, less experience, choked in his final fight. I, I'm going to think the grappling is going to come into effect. Give me Jeremiah Wells over Max Griffin by unanimous decision. I'll just say decision. I'm just going to say by decision because split decision, unanimous decision, anything can happen. Anything, anything can happen in the UFC. Let's keep our prelims a roll in light heavyweight division as Devin Brown Bear Clark takes on Marcin Pracinio. Devin Clark is 14 and 8. Marcin Pracinio, 16 and 7. 6'3 to 6 foot gives Marcin a 3 inch height advantage, but Brian, Devin Clark has a 1 inch reach advantage, 75 to 74. Orthodox stands for both of these young gentlemen. Aren't that young? They're in their mid 30s, but we have fun with them. Devin Clark, the Brown Bear. I mean, he is 33 years old from New Mexico. Of his 14 victories, four by knockout, one by sub, a lot of these go to a decision for him. Been in the UFC since 2016. I mean, this guy's been submitted by Jan Blachowicz. All right, he's beaten Jake Collier. He's been knocked out by Alexander Rakic. He's been submitted by Ryan Spann. He's been submitted by Anthony Smith. He's been knocked out by Azamat Merzikhanov. He's been submitted by Kenny Nchukwu. Devin Clark is the definition of he will lose to a top guy and beat random guys like Dakon Townstead, Darko Stozic. Uh, Alonzo Menfield wins impressive. Dawoon Jung wins impressive. William Knight TKOing William Knight's impressive, but I mean, it's hard to tell with Devin Clark who will show up. Dude has all the skills. He's built tough, but after watching him get submitted by Kenny and Chukwu last time out, I don't know what to make of it. His opponent, Marcin Pracinio. He has a karate style of fighting, which I love. 35 years old, he was born in Poland, but now lives and trains in the Netherlands. Of his 16 victories, 11 by knockout, one submission in there. Marcin's been in the UFC since 2018. Did debut and got knocked out by Sam Alvey. Then got knocked out by Mike Wanakalaf. Then got knocked out by Mike Rodriguez. Dude got knocked out in round one in three straight fights. And then beat Khalil Roundtree Jr. by unanimous decision. Then retired Ike Villanueva from fighting. Lost unanimous decision to Philip uh, Lenz. Beat William Knight in one of the worst performances I've seen last year. And then got submitted by the undefeated Victor Petrinio. You know... Devin Clark, he can stand on the feet. He's definitely going to be shooting for takedowns in this one, and I do think the takedowns will come into effect. Um, Devin Clark does have a 33% takedown accuracy to Marcin's 54% takedown defense, so I do think that'll play an effect into this one. 
I'm going to give this one to Marcin Pracinio. Uh, if he can avoid the takedowns from Devin Clark, then he should be able to survive. And we're going to say by decision because I, I just don't see him. I still don't see him finishing Devin Clark. If anything, Devin Clark's going to get a finish in this one. In what could be one of the most boring fights of the night, we go to the women's strawweight division. Sorry, women. Luma Luke Boonmi takes on Bruna Brazil. Luma Luke Boonmi is 8-3. and three. Bruna Brazil 9-3-1. and one. Five six to five one gives Bruna a five inch height advantage and a four inch reach advantage for Bruna as well. Sixty five sixty one. Both women stand in an orthodox stance. Luma Luke Boonmi, the Muay Thai fighter from Thailand, is twenty eight years old and of her eight victories has one knockout and one sub. Good for her. Actually got that submission her last time out against Elise Reed. She's currently on a little two fight win streak. She loves to get takedowns. She loves to strike. Luma likes to do it all. Holds wins over Alexandra Albu. Uh, Jin Frey, Sam Hughes, Dennis Gomez. Uh, her losses in the UFC are to Lupe, Lupe Godinez and Angel Hill. Those are not bad losses at all. No, she's a tough fighter. Her opponent, Bruna Brazil, uh, from Piranha Brazil, uh, 30 years old. Three KOs and two subs make up her nine victories. She is 1-1 one one in the UFC. Got a nasty knockout of Marnik Mann on Dana White's contender series back in 2022. That unfortunately had to fight had to fight uh, Denise Gomez in April in her debut got TKO'd but was able to beat Shauna Bannon in July stopping that little Irish hype train. I don't know, I don't know who to pick in this one. Both women are tough. Both are uh, both are durable. Both bring it. But I really have to assess uh, what's going to be the deciding factor. Here. And Luke Boonmi goes. She does go for um, decisions if you will, and there's just this weird little thing I see where Denise Gomez beat Bruna Brazil, but lost to Denise, but lost to Luma Luke Boonby. and I just kind of think there's going to be this weird little triangle where Bruna Brazil wins, and you're kind of like, oh, who's better? I do not see you're getting a finish. I think we're going to get another decision, so give me Bruna Brazil by decision. I, I expect nothing out of this fight, not to be sexist, because I love women. Women's rights all day. Okay. Moving on. Lightweight bout up next between... I'm so excited for this one. I'm so excited for this one. Between Balaji, the Zulu warrior Oki, and Timothy Twilight Kuwamba. Timothy is stepping out on short notice. Balaji Oki was supposed to fight... Oh my gosh, what's his name? What's his name? Demir Adzovich. Uh, Demir had to pull out due to injury, and Timothy stepped in on like a week's notice. So thank you, Timothy. So I'm... Because uh, I'm able to see Balaji Oki fight now. Let's start with the... Uh, actually, we'll start with Timothy. Timothy, Twilight, come... Oh, wait. We didn't even do the tail of the tape. Both fires are 8-1, eight, eight uh, 5-10 to 5-9 in favor of Balaji. 73 and 3 to 71 in favor of Balaji. Orthodox stance for both. They are very, very similar. Matchmakers are good. Uh, Timothy Kuwamba, 24 years old from Las Vegas. Four KOs of his eight victories. He's currently on a little five-fight win streak. Actually beat Mateo Vogel on uh, Season 7 of Dana West Contender Series by unanimous decision. Kind of a controversial decision. Uh, very, it was just a close fight. Not much happened. We're happy to have you, though. We're happy to have you, Timothy. Unfortunately, unfortunately, you gotta fight Bellagio Key. Bellagio Key, 28 years old, from Belgium. Five knockouts in one sub of his eight victories. And he's coming off a giant win on Daniel's Contender Series. We got a round one knockout of Dylan Salvador. And Bellagio's on eight-fight win streak. Hasn't lost since he made his debut. Timothy, you're a bit shaky from stepping in on short notice. Give me that Bellagio Key round one knockout. I'm here for it. I'm here for you, Bellagio. I'm a fan. I like your style. I like your energy. And I'll be rooting for you to knock out Timothy Twilight Kwamba. That's what 
that's what uh, Balaji's going to be uh, making Timothy see Twilight. Uh, send him to the Twilight Zone? I don't know. Whatever analogy we want to make. And thus brings us to our final prelim of the night as Trevin Giles takes on Carlos the Nightmare Prates. Trevin Giles is 16-5. and five. Carlos Prates 17-6. 6-1 to 6 foot. Very similar, but Carlos has one inch. He does have a notable four inches in reach, 78 to 74. Switch stands for Carlos uh, Orthodox Stance. For the notable Trevel Giles. Trevin Giles, that is. Trevin's been in the UFC since 2017. 31-year-old from Texas has six knockouts and five subs of his 16 victories. That's not too shabby. He's actually never lost a decision. Every decision Trevin Giles has gone to, he has won 5-0 in his decisions uh, that he's gone to. Um, but yeah, I mean, back and forth career. He actually, at one point... Lost by guillotine choke in back-to-back fights in round number three in 2019. Very odd. Did go on a little three-fight win streak with wins over James Krause, Bevin Lewis, and Roman Dildese. Very impressive. Before getting knocked out by Driscus Duplessis. Moved down from middleweight to welterweight. Got knocked out by Michael Morales. Beat Lewis Koch. Beat Preston Parsons last year. Unfortunately, last time out in July. Got submitted by Gabriel Bonfim in round number one. But Trevin Giles, I know you are very talented. His opponent, Carlos Prates, 30 years old, from Brazil, 12 knockouts, 3 subs of his 17 victories, 15 of 17 wins he has finished. That is very scary, and he's currently on a little 7-fight win streak. He knocked out Mitch Ramirez on Dana White's Contender Series back in August, back in August, round 2 knockout. This is tough. Four-inch reach advantage, the nightmare, his nickname, Carlos's debut in, give me Carlos Prates. But how? Oh, but how will Carlos Prates beat you, Trevin Giles? Give me a round three knockout, just because I can't do round one for every single fight. So we're going to say a little round one knockout for him. But uh, yeah, best of luck to both these fighters. I win as the viewer. And those are our prelim predictions. We get into the main card. Everything's official. Everything goes in the book. Let's get right on into it. Because I'm cooking. It's late. It's late tonight. This isn't even getting uploaded until Friday. I still have to take my uh, my thumbnail picture for the for the podcast. First fight of the main card. Good one. Rodolfo Vieiro takes on Armin Superman Petrosian. Gosh darn it. This is such a good fight. Makes me so happy. Rodolfo and Armin are both 9-2 professionally. 6-3 to 6 foot though does give Armin a 3-inch height advantage. A 2-inch reach advantage for Rodolfo. 73-71. Both fighters have an orthodox stance to how they fight. Clashing of styles here. Rodolfo Vieiro is a black uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, practitioner as much as they come. 34-year-old is from Brazil. Of his nine victories, one by knockout, eight by sub, giving him a 100% finish rate. Um, been in the UFC since 2019, had back-to-back arm, tri- arm triangle victories uh, before losing his first-ever professional fight to Anthony Hernandez. Uh, that was at UFC 258. Just took him down too much, got caught. It happens. Then had one of the craziest comeback victories against Dustin Stolfus, down two rounds, submits him with a rear naked chokehold during a performance bonus back in 2021. Had one fight in 2022, lost to Chris Curtis by unanimous decision, where he had 20 failed takedowns. Chris Curtis defended all 20 takedown attempts Rodolfo Vieira threw at him. His one fight last year against Cody Brundage got knocked down in round one, almost finished, came back in round number two, submitted him to get performance bonus. Arm triangle victory there, Rodolfo Vieira. Excuse me, you are very, very entertaining. Very much enjoy watching you fight. But this is where I get torn. 
This is where I get torn because he takes on Armin Petrosian, who is a Muay Thai specialist, the 33-year-old born in Russia, now lives and trains in Armenia, and of his nine victories, five are by knockout. Had a crazy head kick knockout on Dana White's contender series in 2021, but since joining the UFC, it's been four decisions. He is three and one in them. He's only lost to Kyle Barallo, which isn't bad at all. His one weakness, though, is takedowns. It's how Gregory Rodriguez should have beaten him. It's how Kyle Barallo did beat him. It's how AJ Dobson almost beat him. And it's what Christian Leroy Duncan needed to do in Armin's lone fight in uh, 2023, but he wasn't able to as Armin outkickboxed him to a victory. Now, I will say, Armin Petrosian does have a um, 36% takedown defense, uh, but I do think the 26% takedown uh, success from Rodolfo Vieira is from the 0-20 against Chris Curtis. We take that out. It's up in the 80% range. So I am probably actually going to go. I was going to go with Armin Petrosian, but I'm going to switch it to Rodolfo Vieira. And I'm going to go with a round two submission. There's just something about Rodolfo in round two. It kicks in. He gets the submissions going. And I think it's been a while since Aaron Petrosian got submitted. So let's give uh, let's give Rodolfo Vieira the victory. Plus, he's only 34. He's not that old. But um, I don't know how his style would match up against other fighters. Keeping us moving. As, oh, my gosh. This guy is an absolute stud. Michael the Menace Johnson takes on Darius Beast Mode Flowers in the men's lightweight division. I love these nicknames. Michael Johnson is 22-19. and 19. Absolutely insane. Darius Flowers, 12-6-1. One inch a night for Michael. Uh, height, 5'10 to 5'9. Two inches in reach, 73-71. to 71. A southpaw stand. So he's throwing that left hand with force. And uh, Darius has orthodox. He's throwing that right hand with force. Let's start with Michael Johnson. Michael is 37 years old. He's from Florida. Trains at Killcliffe uh, FC. I mean, Brendan Allen, Robbie Lawler, a lot of notable guys train at Killcliffe FC. Uh, of his 22 victories, nine by knockout, two by sub, and he has an outstanding nine losses by submission. I just absolutely love that. Michael's been around for so long, for so long. But he does have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Of his 19 losses, 15 are in the UFC. So he has lost quite a lot of fights. Um, he actually holds wins over Tony Ferguson, Joe Lazone, Edson Barbosa. He's knocked out Dustin Poirier in round number one. Beaten Andre Feely. Beaten uh, Mark Diakise. He's knocked out Alan Patrick. And with all those finishes, all those wins, he does hold losses to uh, Benil Dariush, fight of the night lost to Nate Diaz, lost to Khabib Nurmagomedov, Justin Gaethje, Darren Elkins, Josh Emmett's knocked him out, lost to Stevie Ray, Terry Moises, Clay Guida. I mean, Michael Johnson has lost a lot. Uh, he is coming off a brutal knockout loss to Diego Ferreira, who knocked him out clean back in May. He's had all year to recover. Michael Johnson, I'll be happy to see you return. His opponent, Darius Flowers, is 29 years old, born in Chicago, but now uh, lives in Iowa. I think he trains in Chicago, though. Of his 12 victories, 8 by knockout and 1 by sub, 9 of 12 uh, finishes. That's not too bad. Uh, one on Daniel's Contender Series back in Season 6 due to an injury sustained by his opponent. Then debuted on short notice in July against Jake Matthews, where he was submitted in round number 2. He was kind of funny, though. Where he was like running around the cage. He was also like acting like he was wobbled, but it really wasn't. I'm excited to see what Darius Flowers does, but I do think kind of an, uh, I don't really want to call like a 29 year old, like unprepared, but I think taking on a veteran like Michael Johnson, Michael's going to outmaneuver him through three rounds and get a unanimous decision victory. And Michael Johnson, at 37 years old, will get another UFC win. Happy to see you, Michael. 
Keeping us a roll in, one of my personal favorites of this card is Brad Tavares takes on Gregory Robocop Rodriguez. Love this man. I love this man. Brad Tavares is 20-9. and nine. Gregory Rodriguez, 14-5. and 6'3", the 6'1", gives Gregory 2 inches in height and 1 inch in reach, 75-74. Both fighters fight orthodox stance. Let's talk about Brad Tavares, who's floated in and out of the men's middleweight uh, division for a while. He's in the top 10, had fight nights. Um, 36-year-old is from Hawaii, but does train at Extreme Couture, the same gym as Sean Strickland, of course. Uh, five KOs and two subs make up his uh, 20 victories, meaning that he has had 13 decision wins. Oh, my gosh. Just, oh, my gosh, 13 decision wins. Uh, he's coming off a big win over Chris Weidman back in August. Uh, but before that, was knocked out by Bruno Silva in round one. So, just got to tell you how good he is. Uh, Brad Tavares has been around a while. Uh, he actually holds wins over uh, no really notable now that I'm looking. He does hold losses to Isola Asanya, Edmund Shabazian, Driscus Duplessis, uh, Robert Whitaker. So he's lost Riol Romero. So he's lost to better people than he's beat. But uh, Brad Tavares making Hawaii proud every time he steps in the octagon. His opponent, Gregory Robocop Rodriguez, also known as Violent Obama, 31-year-old from Brazil, has eight KOs and four subs of his 12, 14 victories. So only two fights. He's gone the distance in one. Now, I will say, Gregory, that he has uh, been knocked out three times, but never submitted. Never submitted. Gregory's had an interesting UFC run, uh, got knocked out on Dana Contender Series back in 2020, debuted and had a unanimous decision win over Dusko Todorovic, then knocked out Jun Young Park in a fight of the night, which was so entertaining, then lost the split decision to Armin Petrosian, knocked out Julian Marquez in round one, had a crazy comeback against Chidi and Chukwe in round number two in 2022. Now, 2023 was weird. He got oddly knocked out by Bruno Ferreira with a one-punch knockout in round number one back at UFC 283, and then absolutely obliterated Dennis Tolulin at UFC 292 in August. So, Gregor Rodriguez coming off a big win. Brad Tavares was knocked out by Bruno Silva. He beat Chris Weidman. Let me just tell you something. This is going to be a massacre by violent Obama, Robocop, Gregory Rodriguez. I'm predicting a round one knockout clean. A clean round one knockout from Gregory Rodriguez. I'm here for it. I am here for it. Moving us along, we go to two uh, two fighters who are decently unknown. It's rare you get these uh, Eastern European matchups. It's 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 very very rare, and I'm happy to have it as we meet the debuting Robert Brizek as he takes on Ihor Dulis Potera. Who's had numerous amount of UFC fights? Robert is 17 and five. Uh, Ihor Potera 19 and five. Uh, both fighters have a 75-inch reach, but the three inches in height for Ior Patera, six foot three to six foot, is what's notable. Orthodox stance for Robert Southpaw for Potera. Should be very interesting to see how that plays into effect. The duelist Ior Potera is 27 years old from Ukraine, nine KOs and seven subs of his 19 victories. He's been knocked out four times of his five losses and was on a 15-fight win streak before losing his UFC debut to Nicola Negomorano back in July of 2022. Got TKO'd in round number two. Followed that up by actually retiring Mauricio Rua last year at UFC 283 and then having a very odd victory celebration, celebrating when he shouldn't have. Carlos Ulberg humbled this man, though, in May, TKOing him in two minutes. Then he had a fight of the night loss uh, where he was actually uh, winning and then was unfortunately beaten by Rodolfo Bellato in comeback fashion back in December. But Portera, looking to turn around, his odds will be uh, back to action. 
His opponent, Robert Bozijek, is 33 years old from Poland, currently on a little five-fight win streak, all five of those wins in the first round. He has 11 knockouts in one sub of his 17 victories. I'm excited to see what Robert brings. I'm expecting it to be good because I'm predicting Robert to get a round one knockout. Air Portera is too, too unpredictable. Wins some, loses some, and I think he gets dropped too much and will lose. Plus, I just, I don't know, a little Poland action from Robert. I'd love to go to Poland, put on a Polish card, a little Matus Gamera, a little Hambohovic action. That's what we're rooting for. Moving into our co-main event. Was supposed to be number 14-ranked Leroy Murphy, taking on number 13-ranked Dan Ige, but Leroy had to pull out due to injury, so in steps Dan 50K Ige. Oh, no, he was already in there. What am I saying? In steps Andre Touchy-Feely. Dan stepping in to take on a guy that, you know, he shouldn't even have to fight. Andre Feely, fresh off his UFC 296 knockout of Lucas Almeida, is looking to get some more money added to his resume. Uh, Dan, 50K, Ige is 17-7. and 7. Andre Feely, 23-10 and 10 with one no contest. Uh, four inches in height for Andre Feely, 5'11 to 5'7. That's definitely impacted Dan Ige. He's always been a shorter fighter in this division. Three inches in reach for Andre Feely, 74 to 71. Both fighters have an orthodox stance. Dan, 50K, Ige, of course, your number 13 men's featherweight fighter. He's from Hawaii and um, has five KOs and five subs of his 17 victories, and he's never been finished. Danny Gay has never been finished in the UFC. Absolutely wild. Never finished in his career. Been around since 2018. Uh, he was once on a six-fight win streak before losing a fight night to Calvin Cater. Uh, he's knocked out a majority of the people. You know, Damon Jackson, Gavin Tucker have tried to take his spot. He's knocked out in round uh, one or two. He has losses to Chan Sung Jung, Josh Emmett, Mosfar Evlov. Was on a little two-fight win streak before losing last time out in September to Bryce Mitchell. Got brutally outgrappled in that one. But Dan Ige has punching man's power, and Andre Feely is going to have to learn to deal with that. Andre Feely, the 33-year-old from California, trains a team alpha male with a lot of noble UFC fighters. 10 KOs and 3 subs of his 23 victories. Andre's been in the UFC since 2013. He's been submitted by Max Holloway, uh, knocked out by Aaron Rodriguez, lost the decision to Calvin Cater, won decisions over Artem Lobov and Dennis Bermudez, lost decisions to Michael Johnson, knocked out Shaman Marais, lost decisions to Sodic Yusuf, below beaten Charles Jordan. He's lost to Bryce Mitchell. They've been knocked out by Jameson Brito. Beaten Bill Algeo. Lost the thing it would. Beaten Lucas Almeida. It is 50-50 when you fight Andre Feely. And on verdict, um, Dan Ige uh, is going to get a huge boost if he wins by submission here. I really do not see a path to victory for Andre Feely. Dan Ige's got more power, better anti-grappling, and Andre Feely just got lucky against Lucas Almeida. He lost to a guy, Nathaniel Wood, who would lose to Dan Ige. So by process of elimination, give me a Dan Ige round two submission, but in reality, Dan Ige just winning overall is what we're predicting to happen. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, brings us to our main event, the main event, the final fight of the evening, as number 11-ranked middleweight Jack Hermanson puts his ranking spot on the line against Joe Body Bags Piper. Oh, man, I am stoked for this one. Jack the Joker Hermanson is 23 and 8. Joe Pfeiffer is 12 and 2. 6 foot 2 to 6 foot 1 gives Joe a 1 inch height advantage. 77 to 75 in reach gives Jack a 2 inch reach advantage. Both fighters fight in an orthodox stance. Let's look at the Joker first, who defends his number 11 ranked spot in the middleweight rankings. Jack Hermanson, been around a while since 2016. 
Um, he's fought in Tiago Santos. He's fought in Gerald Mearshart, David Branch, Jack Ray Souza, Jerry Canier, Kevin Gaslam, Marvin Vittori, Sean Strickland, Chris Curtis, Roman Dolodize. This guy fights everyone. And this is wild. Since 2019, he's gone win-loss in all of his fights. Lost to Cannonier, beaten Gastelum. Lost to Vittori, beat Shabazian. Lost to Sean Strickland, beat Chris Curtis. And last time out, lost to Roman Dolodize. Got TKO'd in round number two. So I'll be interested to see how he rebounds from this. I don't exactly know how it's going to go. Um, Jack Manson is 35 years old. He's from Sweden. Uh, 10 KOs and 7 subs of his 23 victories. So he has had has had a lot of uh, finishes. Uh, last fought in December of 2022. He had canceled fights against Derek Brunson and Brendan Allen in 2023, which is unfortunate to say. I don't know, man. I don't know what to expect from Jack Manson. It'll be interested to see. I don't really expect too much. And after getting, after being inactive for over a year, losing to Dolodizze last time out, I don't expect too much. I'll tell you who I do expect a lot from. The 27-year-old already. He's from Philadelphia. Eight KOs, three subs, five-fight win streak, body bags. Hasn't gone the distance in a fight since 2018. Currently on a four-fight win streak, five-fight win streak, my bad. That's Joe Pfeiffer. Ladies and gentlemen, this guy is straight money. Of his two losses, got submitted early on in his career. The other one was an injury against Dustin Stolfus on a slam. Joe Pfeiffer hurt his arm, actually broke it, actually had to get surgery, and his right arm is an inch shorter than the left. Are you kidding me? Came back on Dana White's Contender Series in 2022 and knocked out Ozzy Diaz in round number two. And the B. Joe Pfeiffer meme was born from Dana White. In September of 2022, had his debut and knocked out Alan Amandowski in round number one. Came back in April of 2023 and knocked out Gerald Marchart in round number two. One, actually. In round number two in August, um, August, October, if I can say anything right, Joe Pfeiffer submitted Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, showed how dimensional he is. Joe Pfeiffer is a savage. I expect a round three knockout from Joe Pfeiffer. Round one, round two, round three. I expect Joe Pfeiffer to get a knockout in this fight. I mean, I'm rooting for Joe Pfeiffer. They just add him to EA Sports. Uh, they, he is so entertaining, so fun. He's a badass. He broke Francis Ngannou's punching bag record, world record. That's how hard he punches, okay? There's a name. There's a reason his nickname's Body Bags, because that's where he sends people. Joe Pfeiffer, I'll be rooting for you this Saturday at UFC Vegas 86. His first main event, too. Come on. You could become the number 10 ranked um, middleweight in the world if you win. Incredible incredible so let's recap the picks we got daniel marcos by round one knockout hyder emil by unanimous decision bogdan guskoff by round two knockout jeremiah wells by decision marcin Pracino by decision bruno brazil by decision bellagio key round one knockout carlos Prates round three knockout rodolfo vieira winning by round two submission michael johnson winning by unanimous decision uh, Gregory Rodriguez, round one knockout. Robert Brzeek, round one knockout. Danny Gay, round two submission to be ballsy. And Joe Pfeiffer, we'll say round three knockout. In reality, it could happen in any round. Very much pumped for that fight. And the winner of this fight will probably be fighting upwards into the top ten, if I'm being honest. So big things ahead for whoever wins this matchup. I'm pumped, though. That goes down Saturday. By the time you listen to this, uh, it might be Saturday. It might be Friday. Who knows? Fun times ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for joining me. This was fun. It's always fun recording this. Uh, I was debating Wayne until Friday, but I kind of just bit the bullet, recorded it, realized I don't have to upload it tonight. I don't have to go through all that hustle, that hassle. Hustle. It was a hustle. In a way, um, 
got to go on my grind, got to hit the gym tomorrow, got to study for international business, take an international business exam, work on finding an internship, work on my resume. I got to get my relationship in check. I'm just kidding. I don't. I'm just being dramatic. I got to make sure my family loves me. They love me. I'm just being dramatic. But there, there's stuff to be done in the life of Zachary. Um, but this podcast is always fun to talk about. We're working on recording. And my, my nose has been bugging me, if you can tell I'm stuffy at times. And I just, there's nowhere to set up in my room. My phone would kind of be positioned awkwardly. We're working on it. Okay, we work on it. We brainstorm. I'm trying to find outside hustles. I'm trying to find out things to do. But right now, all I can say is thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me. I will catch you next time on the Surprise Jab Podcast. Very abrupt ending, but I appreciate you all nonetheless. Have a great weekend.